Hello, and welcome back to the Big Questions, Bigger God podcast. I am Jackson Porter. And I'm William Horton, and we're your co-host for this podcast. This is officially episode two of the Big Questions, Bigger God podcast. Episode one came about a week ago, and we were super excited to get that launched and out there. So if you haven't had the chance to listen to that, go check that out um, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, etc. A ton of different places. Um, But... Just a quick recap of last week, or not, well, yeah, kind of last week. Uh, last episode, we looked at who God is uh, as three distinct pillars of creator, king, and savior. And we thought we saw these three pillars consistent with who he is across all of scripture. And we continue to see that today. Um, and so this week, we're going to continue looking at who God is by looking at some of his attributes and characteristics just to get a little bit of a deeper understanding, but before that, probably one of my most favorite parts of this whole podcast... It's one of my favorite parts. ...is asking each other questions that we did not tell each other about beforehand, so our answers are genuine. Absolutely spontaneous. Here we go. All right, well, I guess I'm starting us off. Yes, you are. So a very, very simple question for you, Jackson. Christmas or Easter? Which is the better, more important holiday? I don't know. What, what do you want to go with? This is a very interesting question. I'm not sure how to go about that. <laughs> Answer um, it however you want. But it, no, I will judge you either way. In the sense of decor, hanging out with family, what we get to do, um, I hate Easter egg hunting. Like, that's just not... Like, I like hiding them more than I do hunting them. That's fair. Um, but I love Christmas. Like, the music, the decorating... The food. The cheesy Hallmark movies. The cheesy Hallmark movies. There's nothing greater, um, <laughs> except for God. Um, you know. That's, that's an important that, clarification. That's an important clarification. Um, but looking at, as Christians, what we see those holidays as, I think they're equally important. Because Jesus couldn't have died on the cross without being born. But he also, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I can't argue with the reasoning. I suppose we should say that they're theologically equivalent. That seems a pretty safe answer. But... I would also agree with you that Christmas, at least in terms of what we do to celebrate it, I think I enjoy Christmas probably a little bit more. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Now, here in Texas, we love our barbecue. At least I do. Um, So, William, if you had to be one barbecue, like type of barbecue, as in like meat, how it's done, whatever, what barbecue would you be and why? Mm. Without a doubt. I would very easily be brisket, a good smoked brisket, probably sliced if you're just going to have the meat by itself. Chopped brisket is pretty good, depending on where you get it from. You can do a lot of different things with it. Um, but I, I think generally I would have to go with, with some good sliced brisket. And it is not complete without a side of mac and cheese. That is fair. And we can still be friends, so that's good. Oh, that's good. Um, yes, because friendship is good. This podcast was about to be very short. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, this might have been the end of everything. Just kidding. Jokes. At least I think. Um, but you know, That's, that's the hope, anyway. Saying. That's the hope. So, yeah, that that's interesting. All right. Well, now we know each other just slightly better now. <laughs> well, yeah. shall we jump into our content for the day? I think we should. So today we are, the big question is, what is God like? Well, there's a lot of that can, or there's a lot that can go into that. Um, So we felt that this was actually a two-part thing. So today we're going to be looking at the incommunicable attributes of God. And you're probably like, okay, that's a big fancy word. What did you just say? Um, In other words, these are attributes or things God has that we cannot have because he is perfect 
and we are not. Um, and you've probably heard some of these words before, but you're like, what the heck do these mean? These are over my head, and why do they all start with omni? So Yes, but if you're uh, if we're talking about the, the non-communicable attributes of God, which, again, we'll get more into that in a second, now would be a great time to shamelessly plug our next episode, which will be the part two on this, where we look at the communicable attributes of God. Uh, so the... The two words basically just mean what attributes does God have exclusively? Uh, and then the communicable attributes of God are attributes that God has, um, things that describe him that we as humans are also capable of possessing those those attributes as well. So we'll be looking at that next week, but stay tuned for more content on that. Yeah, super exciting. So let's jump right in. There are some pretty cool things that God has that we don't um, but don't be jealous. It's okay. It's better that he has it and we do not. But um, we're going to start off with this idea of the greatest conceivable being. William, what is the greatest conceivable being? Well, if I had to you know, give an answer to that, which I suppose I do because you just asked me, um, I would say that the greatest conceivable being is probably the greatest being that I could ever conceive of. That seems like a pretty. pretty it's good very self-explanatory. Yeah, <laughs> but it holds so much truth to it. Um, I think this is important because, like, I would want to worship a god or someone who is the best thing I could possibly imagine, and more. Which I think, at least when you look at scripture, like God lines up with that. Um, like He's amazing, but there's still things I don't understand that I'm like, well, that just makes him even more amazing, right? Um, so I, yeah, so yeah, the greatest conceivable being the, or at least the idea of this is just kind of a, a helpful tool, um, for Christians or really for anybody who's thinking about the concept, uh, of God when we're trying to look at his attributes, what is God like, um, and who is he, uh, because these are just really the things that, um, wh- it makes you ask the question, what is it that would make somebody or something great? Um, and so when we think about God, that means that God is going to be the most excellent, the most perfect of all of these things. Um, and so we really wouldn't want to worship or follow a God who's any less than that. No. Um, if I could, if I could conceive of a being who's greater than God, then the God that we have is probably not worth worshiping all that much. And so that's why this is really a useful concept because, uh, while it's a little bit more of a philosophical approach, we do see that it lines up pretty closely with what Scripture teaches about God. And so that's kind of how we see that the God of the Bible uh, really is the greatest being that anyone could ever conceive of. Uh, but we'll be doing that primarily, uh, or at least discussing that today, through five major attributes that we have. These are the the non-communicable attributes that um, God alone has these and nobody else does. So, Jackson, do you want to run us through those five really quick? Yeah, so our first one is omnipresence, literally meaning that God is everywhere. Um, The second one we're going to look at today is omniscient. Uh, That just means that God really does know everything, right? He created knowledge, um, and so he knows everything that we know and more. Um, Omnibenevolence, this is probably a favorite one of mine just because it talks about the love of God, but how it's an unconditional love. Um, not something that we always do a good job of. Omnipotence is going to be our fourth big word we are looking at today. Um, and that just means all-powerful, that um, 
we'll dig into a little bit more. I'm kind of excited about that one. And the last one, which is not an Omni, fun fact. It's um, the only one that's it's not. It's the <laughs> only one that's not an Omni, but uh, a Seity, which in simple terms means that God is self-existing uh, and self-sufficient. Like, he doesn't need anything else to exist and support him, unlike we. Unlike us. Sorry, that was weird. English. Yeah, but that's a, that's a fancy term you can, you know... Bust out at your next uh, Bible study or Sunday school lesson to and then just you confuse sound everyone. <laughs> then you sound smart, so remember that. And everybody's like, whoa, you know a big word. Yeah, but we'll get more into it later so you actually understand it and, you know, don't just start talking about things that you don't understand because that's always embarrassing when somebody asks you questions about it and then you don't know what to say. And then you're like, uh, 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 uh. All right, so which one are we starting with? Let's dig into omnipresence. Ooh, such a good topic. Um... A scripture that really stuck out to us here that kind of uh, to dig into a little bit is the book of Psalm, uh, chapter 139. And I don't know that I've ever read a book with that many chapters, so <laughs> there's that, um, besides the book of Psalm. Um, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 10. So, William, you want to read that? Yes. So, Psalm 139, 7 through 10 says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that's um, a fancy way of saying the realm of the dead, the underworld, uh, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Yeah, um, let's let's unpack that, right? Um, so where shall I go from your spirit? Well, automatically, um, we're getting asked this question of like, where can I go that your spirit's not? you can't right like that's kind of the whole point it's a rhetorical question of like when you're when you know you're in trouble and your mom asks you like did you clean your room today and you're like no and there's no escaping your mom's wrath of you didn't clean your room today um so there's nowhere you can go that the spirit won't find you um and then the very next question is where shall i flee from your flee from your presence i mean essentially saying the same thing yeah, so I think it's interesting like that the verse points out that you could go up to heaven or you could even go into hell and still find like God would already be there. Like there's there's literally nowhere you can go on earth in the universe or even in the spiritual world. Like there is absolutely nowhere um where God's presence is not already there. Uh which is a little bit mind-blowing for us, I think. Uh, just being, you know, limited beings, we kind of have to obey the laws of space and time and all of that. And so we can only be um, in one location at one point in time. Uh, but it's a little bit mind-blowing just to think that God can be in anywhere. And he can be in all locations at the same time. Which I think is more mind-boggling when you think of, like, okay, there's the earth, and there's everywhere he can go there, and then you have heaven and hell. And then the vast universe that literally is infinite, right, never ends. Like, his presence is there because he created it. And, like, we can't wrap our heads around it, but that's just, like, there's literally nowhere you can go to escape God's presence because it is everywhere in some way. And we're going to kind of dig into the different ways we may see God's presence in certain places um, here in a minute. But, you know, the Bible's good, and the Bible talks about God, and we believe it's true. So let's jump in to a pretty cool dude named Jonah. Um, <laughs> Jonah wasn't always a cool dude. He Jonah had, he wasn't had his always moments. a cool dude. I, well, even in his moments, I, he was still kind of cool. I mean, not many people can say, I was in a whale, and then got spit out. That's fair, although he probably didn't think it was too amazing at the time. No. 
Yeah, but there was, I don't know if you've seen the VeggieTales Jonah and the Whale movie. That uh, I mean, I think there was there was a gospel choir singing some hymns down there while uh, while he was stuck there. So it couldn't have been that bad. I mean, you know, if we base everything off of VeggieTales, which, sure. Um. <laughs> yeah, but I guess the story of Jonah is a really good example of this just because um, Jonah has the fun experience of God sends him to the city of Nineveh, which was well, one of... tries to send Well, that's fair. Uh, well, he, he gets around to it eventually. We're he getting there. Um, but he sends him to the city of Nineveh, and this is uh, the city in... One of the biggest cities in the biggest empire of the world at the time, uh, the empire of Assyria. And Assyria was kind of the the big enemies of Israel of the day. I mean, they were enemies with a lot of people, but um, they actually conquered the northern kingdom, the top half of Israel at one point. So God sends him to go and tell them to repent, to come back to God. Uh, And Jonah pretty much says, says, no. Yeah. He says, I'm out. (laughs) He says, you're crazy. Like basically God calls God crazy, which in hindsight probably was not a good idea. I I highly would not recommend saying that, um, even though maybe you want to sometimes. But um, just looking at his story, um, it's really funny because he runs um, like he can run away from God or outrun him. But if God's everywhere, then that's impossible. Um, so l- let's dig into that. Like, uh, like what I wonder, I'm trying to think of like, what was going through Jonah's mind of, okay, let me run the opposite direction. Like I'm actually running away from God only because he said something to me here. But in reality, we know that's not true because God's there later on with some crazy things happening. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit like being in the middle of a forest and being like, I'm going to run away from the trees. <laughs> That's, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a, a little, little, it's a little hard yeah, difficult. To, to run away from the trees when you're in a forest. As crazy as that is, though, like, how much truth does it have when you start thinking about Jonah? Like, oh, well, Jonah should have obeyed God and just gone to Nineveh in the first place. I mean, yes, that's what everyone would want to do, right? But we know that we don't live in a perfect world. Um but the journey that Jonah took that God allowed him to be on, like God doesn't do anything on accident, right? He does everything on purpose. So he knew Jonah was going to do that. And it was a real test of his faith and devote devotion to God and what he called him to do. So we always look back on these stories and we're like, well, that was dumb, right? Because we can look <laughs> back on it now from an outside perspective. But in the moment, like going to Nineveh, like I can't say I'd do any different. Yeah. Like if those people were like, had conquered the place I lived and yeah, like you're were super enemies. powerful and sworn enemies. Like I would have the same reaction. Like, absolutely not. Why would you want me to go there? That's dumb. Right. And well, this is why you need the other attributes of God to kind of balance this out because with God, his omnipresence is actually a really good thing. It should be a comforting thing because he's also all loving. So when he's pursuing Jonah, it's not as like God is out to get him somehow. He's pursuing Jonah because he loves Jonah. And so like, that should be an encouragement to us that like, even in the times that we're running away from God, like obviously we can't run away from God, but the fact that he's able to be with us wherever we are, that he's always chasing after us is actually a really good thing. Well, like think of it like your parent, right? Like you, as you get older, you want more distance from your parent, but like also knowing that they would always be there to catch you if you start to fall or be there to help you. Like in the same sense, like, Yes, Jonah's running from God because he doesn't do want to do the thing God asked him. But I I mean, I don't know this for sure, but I feel like Jonah would still feel some sense of peace knowing that like God was still with him in every moment there because it's like even when we're 
running away, maybe not even being obedient, God's still there to catch us before we, like, jump off the cliff, right? Like, or just completely fall and stumble. Like, he might let us fall a little bit to, like, learn our lesson, you know, get a scrape on your knee, Mm -hmm. but he's not going to let us, like, plummet to nothing. Um, And so... But really this, like, this biblical teaching that God is omnipresent, that he's everywhere, uh, was really actually very different than what a lot of people believed then and still believe today. Um, at the time in the culture, the, the common belief was that actually like all of the different gods of the different religions and countries were all real, but they only had power or control or influence over specific countries, over their specific people. And so if that was true, you could run away from those gods. You would just leave the country and be able to escape from them. Uh, but the Bible is like the Bible claims that God is everywhere, that he's sovereign over all nations, over all peoples. Uh, and so that's actually kind of a fun thing to think about. If you ever get the opportunity to travel out of the country, uh, to go somewhere different, that's just even really far away and still think to yourself like, wow, God is even still over here. Like, even though I'm miles away from home, God is still right here with me. Well, we see that, like, uh, we see all these other gods, they have statues built of them, right? And so anytime you see like worship or something of those, you typically saw worship to the the statue that represented them. We had the Ark of the Covenant, but like people could still pray to God like every day, right? That wasn't something that all these other religions were able to do, which just proves God's like presence in everything and should also just prove his power, which leads into omnipotence, which we'll get into in a minute. But it, yeah, it's just encouraging, but that's all great. Um, but how is God everywhere? Because, like, it's not like God's, like, literally right here. I can reach in the air and touch him, like, right? Oh, that was God. Oh, that was God right there. He's not, like, a speck of dust necessarily. But, um, like, what does it mean? Like, how is God everywhere? Yeah, that's a really good question because, I don't know, I think a lot of people try and use analogies for this. And it uh, they can be helpful, at least for our imagination, I suppose. But, uh, I don't know, the most common one that I hear is just that God is kind of like the air that he just fills everything that he's everywhere like uh, in in the same way like you couldn't really just run out of the air Um, but really that analogy kind of breaks down because God God's presence extends past that like um, the like the air has to fill whatever is there uh, but God's presence extends everywhere regardless of what's there or what's not Um, and it doesn't really make sense to, you know, look at one part of the universe and say like, oh, well, that's God's foot over there and his hand over there. It's, uh, God doesn't really, because he's not a spatial being like we are, it doesn't really make sense to say that he fits into space the same way that we do. Then that's not his character either, right? Like you said, like he can't be a spatial being. I mean, yes, we were made in his image, but that more goes to like our characteristics and the way we are able to interact with his creation and each other not necessarily his physical attributes, because God's not limited to a space. Um, and if anything, if God's going to fill anything, he would have to fill the space that's there. But even that can be difficult. Right. And then it adds another layer of the conversation onto it when you see in Scripture that God does take on a form in which he, he occupies space. Uh, you kind of see this theme throughout the Bible of like in the tabernacle, the the tent where God's presence would d- would dwell in the nation of Israel. God's presence did have a particular location, uh, and yet at the same time he was somehow still omnipresent. He was still everywhere. 
Um, and so it begins to be a little bit difficult to describe, well, how exactly is it that God can be in a specific location spatially, but then also say that his presence is everywhere at the same time? Like Isaiah 6 says that the whole earth is actually filled with God's glory. Yeah, I mean, looking at it, like, we we know that we have to be careful with analogies, but for me, like, it's looking at his physical presence versus how he still has control over his creation. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, me and William were talking, um, actually, what, what book is it with C.S. Lewis? Uh, I think it was the one you're talking about is Out of the Silent Planet. Out of the Silent Planet. And it's just his idea was kind of like Earth is silent compared to the mass universe that God created um, in worshiping him. And I think the point he, at least what I got from it was every, like the earth is silent because we have the choice to worship him. All of his creation has to worship him by his command. And he gives us, but he gives us right. The choice to do that. Um, so I think we see a difference in his physical presence and his control over his creation. Um, my analogy for it is like we say, um, and we believe like the church is the body of the believers, not the building, right? We say we go to church, but in reality, like it's it's the body of believers. Um, and so, like when the people leave the church, I wouldn't say the physical presence of God is necessarily there because we know on this side of Jesus, like we have the Holy Spirit. So since we're the temple for the Holy Spirit, we leave. Okay, now the physical presence isn't there. But next Sunday, unless you know fire or tornado or something, the building's still there. Mm-hmm. Well, the building can't be there without physics and like all these things that God created himself. Um, and so it's still worshiping him in a different way. His presence is still there because his creation, even being man built, like giving us the knowledge to do that. But like his creation's still standing, right? All the science he made for it to, to make sense, like the building's going to be there next Sunday. So his presence is still there because it didn't fall to the ground. His physical presence goes with the believer's. At least that's how I kind of look at it. Yeah, well, and I think that's that raises the good point of just because God shows his presence differently in different times and different places doesn't mean that his presence isn't in other places. Um, so it's possible for God to show himself in one way when he's present with the church um, and then manifest himself in an entirely different way just generally across the universe. Um, and then I think what you mentioned about... Um, God sustaining, you know, like the laws of physics that keep everything together. I think that's really the proof of this that you see in reality of like scripture, like Colossians 1.16 says that in him, all things hold together in Christ, in God, God holds all things in the universe together. And so everywhere you see order, everywhere you see the laws of nature taking place, the only reason that's able to happen is because the doctrine of omnipresence is true, that God really is everywhere holding all things together um, all the time. Yeah. And, uh, I really think that leads really well into his omniscience of, um, him being all knowing. So, uh, we're still gonna look at Psalm chapter 139. Um, going back to verse one, uh, two, three, and four, it says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known, known me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word was on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Um, I mean, some of you probably know that from a song, but um, because that's Psalm 139 is a very 
great place to pull songs. But, um, I mean, this looks more us personally, but how he knows us inside and out because he created us, it's the same sense in his creation. Like, he knows his creation inside and out because he created it. Just like someone who wrote a book is going to know their book inside and out because they wrote it. <laughs> they like would they know it better than anyone. Better than anyone. They can go and tell you exactly where you need to go to find this information on this page. Just like God exa- like knows everything about his creation, and which is why he is all-knowing because he simply created everything. <laughs> right, which I think is why this comes out of omnipresence so well is because how could not how could God not know every square inch of the universe when he is in every square inch of the universe he his presence is everywhere and so of course he would know everything because he's everywhere at all times uh and so of course he would know everything about us and know us better even than we know ourselves uh but i think that's also just really comforting that you know uh, a being as great and powerful and holy as god would actually pay attention to us and know us that personally um like when jesus says that the father knows the number of hairs on our head that he, he knows us that specifically and that personally. Um, I think that makes the, the teaching of God's omniscience really powerful that he knows everything about us. Well, and I think it, to me, it's easier to put my faith and trust in him. Like if he knows everything about me, including every hair in my head and knows everything about his creation because he is the creator. Like even in the times where I'm in doubt, I know I can go to him and he's going to be able to take that burden from me because he knows how to deal with it because he allowed the problem to be there and he knows me inside and out and he knows his creation inside and out. Like he knows why a tree has to grow the certain way it does, like in all the things. And I think like the biggest thing that we talked about that was super cool is like, well, we study physics, right? And we have all these physicists, physicists, uh-huh. And that's, we that's have a $4 word there. That's $4 word. Um, we have biologists and we study biology and we study philosophy and we have philosophers and all the, all these people. And yet we continue to discover stuff every day, which just shows you how God's presence is everywhere, how he's powerful, like just all the things like that we'll just get into <laughs> in a minute. But yeah. it just, what's cool is like we study all these things and we discover new stuff and like, oh, that's really cool. And for me, it's like, okay, that's super awesome. Now we know more about God. God created all of that. So him knowing everything, like, we are just discovering who he is and what he is capable of slowly. And we never will get to the end of it until we meet him face to face. But, like, just God created physics. God created biology. God created philosophy. So these things we study and slowly discover about, I'm like, he already knows it all. He's just allowing us Mm -hmm. to know more. Yeah, well, I, I was having a conversation with someone earlier today, and they made the excellent point that we just discover truth. We don't come up with truth. Uh, we, we just discover things that are already there. And so it's, you know, however smart we think we are, God is way smarter because he already knows all of the things. In fact, he came up with most of the things that we're just only now discovering. Uh, and so while we make these improvements in whatever academic fields we're studying, God is still leaps and bounds ahead of us. Uh, in his knowledge and because I mean of course he he made all of these uh, and so I think that's actually uh, just something that we tend to forget uh, about God about Jesus um, there's a book called The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard uh, and in that book he makes a really good point about how often we forget that Jesus is actually super intelligent and that we're not going to be able to follow him as well as we could have if we don't see him as being the smartest man who ever lived 
uh, I mean, we typically think of Jesus as just somebody who's, you know, super kind, super loving, went around serving people all the time. And Which he also, is true. It is, it is true. And he went around doing cool things, doing miracles and all of that. All of those things are true, but we forget that the same man who was just a carpenter in a small town in first century AD was also the smartest person, smarter than any physicist, smarter than any scientist, any historian, that he really is the smartest being who ever lived. Because, you know, we study physics, but Jesus is the man who invented physics. Jesus made the whole universe, as we looked at last week, because God is creator. So that's just a really cool side of this whole thing. Yeah, it's a really cool plug. And, like, if you start thinking about it, Jesus did his ministry in a certain way on purpose. When you start studying the paths he took and why he took it that way and the the locations that he went to, like, they were all on purpose. It's not like he was just happened to be accident because he just wanted to share his love with everybody. He had a plan. He had a purpose. He knew what he was doing. And, um, like, he knew the lay of his land, right? He didn't use a map. He knew where he was going. <laughs> like, he just, we forget that. But it's not like Jesus was walking with his map and like, oh, let's go to Syria or whatever. <laughs> no, like, he knew where he was going because he created it. He knew what was there. And he hit all these places and went to all these places on purpose. And the, the way he taught was on purpose. And the way he spoke to certain people was on purpose. Like, everything was designed to work exactly the way that he needed it to, to have the most effective ministry. Yeah, it makes for some really funny stories. One of my favorites is in Mark 2, where uh, there's some people who were just kind of complaining in their heads about Jesus and what he was saying. Um, And Jesus just sort of casually reads their minds because he already knows what they're thinking before they even say anything. Because that's cool. is exactly what this verse says, that God knows our words before they're even on our tongues. but it's just very funny that uh, that shows up in the Gospels constantly, that Jesus just knows the, everything inside and out. Well, and like, let's sum up the Trinity, Trinity here. Like, we see God the Father kind of having the torch in the beginning of creation. We see Jesus, like, super smart man while he's here. Holy Spirit, why do you think we can discover truth? Mm-hmm. Like, if he lives inside of us, why do you think we're able to discover this truth? Because he's in here, like, he's with us in our presence. And so he's, he's allowing us, like God is allowing us to see what he needs us to see of him. Like it's still, it's still happening right now. Right. And that'll be more of a a future discussion when we get to uh, the nature of scripture. And it's the fact that the, the Holy Spirit who already knows everything about God, because he is God, the Holy Spirit is the one who is able to help us be able to understand these things. And really just to cap off the, this teaching on, uh, omniscience is that God, because he knows everything, he also knows the future, which is kind of cool. We see that pop up in the Old Testament a lot with prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus. There were a lot of controversies for a while that um, people thought that uh, passages in Isaiah, prophecies that seemed to be almost too good to be true about Jesus, they were too specific to be really prophecies to have been written before the life of Christ, have actually now been shown to be real uh, through things like the Dead Sea Scrolls. We know that these prophecies were written before these events actually happened. And so you really do see evidence that God knows everything, including things that haven't happened yet. Yeah. I mean, it's super cool. And like you said, with the whole future thing, like, it's not like, I mean, we can look at the book of Revelation, which hasn't happened yet. and be like, oh, the Bible predicts the future. Like, I guess we'll find out when we get there. But what gives that more authority is that he's God's already done that once, like you said, with Jesus, right? These these prophecies were fulfilled with his life, his ministry, and his death and resurrection. 
which just gives kind of authority to that. And speaking of his death and resurrection, let's just move into omnibenevolence because there's no greater love than that right there. Um, so what, I mean, William, start us off, like what would you say omnibenevolence yeah, so basically it just means that God is all-loving, that everything that God does, everything about him is loving. Uh, in fact, the, the verse that we chose for this is probably a pretty well-known passage. Um, it's 1 John 4, verses 8 through 10. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So, that's kind of a lot there, but there's, I think, one of the most interesting phrases that people bring up a lot is the fact that it says that God is love. Not just that he is loving or that he could be described by love, but that he is love itself. There's, I feel like, a lot to unpack there. There's definitely a lot to unpack there, but um, I think maybe why this is emphasized, I mean, maybe a reason is when, you know, the, the Pharisees were asking Jesus, well, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus is like, well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor, right? So the two greatest commandments both have to do with the love. Um, and so if that's the greatest or most powerful, right, um, that to me, starts to explain, like, well, God is love because of this, and God is love because of what Jesus did on the cross, and God is love because he continues to show us compassion today and allow the world to just keep going, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that that's where I would start. Like, if Jesus said those are the two greatest things, if you get anything out of anything, like, do those to start, right? Um, so that should prove to you that obviously God cares about love enough because he is. <laughs> yes. Well, and it's interesting that you bring up that, like, his, the two, the two most important and the two greatest commandments both have to do with love. And then you ask the question that this passage sort of addresses here, uh, how do we do that? How do we go about loving other people? And he says right here in verse eight, that we should love one another because love is from God. So actually, what's really interesting is that the only way that you are really able to love anyone is because that is God's love at work in you. And if that is not God in you, then it's not actually genuine love. Um, and so it seems from this passage that God, because he is love, he's also the source of love. So anyone in our lives who is truly able to love us that only happens through an act of God, through God enabling them and empowering them to be able to do that. Yeah, and we uh, we can look at the beginning of creation, right, way back in Genesis, of, like, kind of the foundation that most of us agree upon is, like, God created the world because he wanted something to love and for something to love him back, genuinely. Um, but, like, something that, you know, I say and people say is, like, well, God loved us. We love him because he first loved us, right? It's not like, well, he was like, well, in order for me to love you, you have to love me. It's the other way around, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I love you. You can choose to love me. Now, there's like consequences and things, but like, no matter what, he still has unconditional love for us. Like, there's there's nothing you can do to lose that. Um, which, like, this idea of unconditional love should just, like, I think that can only be from God, truthfully. Because I 
with our brokenness and our bitterness and our jealousy, like I just don't know that we would have the strength to do that alone, which honestly just gives another argument for how God is love himself because he has an unconditional love that we show each other. Like your parents love you even when you mess up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good analogy for it because we don't love intrinsically. Um, but I think probably the best analogy for how we interact with God and his love uh, is that of parents and their children. That, uh, like, if you ask a child why they love their parent, it's like, well, there's not really a good answer for that other than the fact that I love my parents because they love me. And so that's sort of how it is with God that. Uh, we love not because there's anything intrinsically in us that makes us do that. We love him in response to the love that he's already given us. And we see that through the fact that he sent Jesus to die for us, even though we didn't deserve that. Yeah. And we don't have to ask for it. Like he just does it. So, which honestly I think shows his omnipotence, right? Um, This idea of him being all powerful so let's move on. This I've been so excited for, friends. Yes. Um, Jackson's been waiting for this. We So, fun fact, my favorite book of the Bible, Learn More About Me, is Job. Uh, I have some reasons. Um, reason number one, um, and, you know, when I get face-to-face with Jesus one day, he might tell me, don't call me sassy ever again. But I love how sassy God is in this book, like, just towards <laughs> the enemy. Like, he is like, Satan... You're an idiot, basically, but like with sass, it's hilarious. Um, I don't know if that's an actual God attribute is of God. A little, little sarcastic. In but this, in we'll this get part. into that later yeah. if that's a thing of his. But um, two full or two. Um, I love how it shows that the enemy literally has no power over God, with the fact that he had to ask permission to even touch Job in the first place. And three, I love how God reminds us of who he is and reminds us that he is the creator and all-powerful because of it. So we're going to jump into Job chapter 38, verses 4 through 13. If you don't, if you haven't read the book of Job or haven't read it in a while, long story short, Job was a very righteous man, followed God and everything he did. Um, and Satan was like, hey, um, kind of went, was trying to talk to God. That's a whole nother thing. But what blows my mind here is Satan didn't ask, hey, can I go mess with Job? God was like, hey, have you thought of my servant Job to test his faith? Um, So that's super cool. Um, But anyways, I got to sum this up and keep moving. So God's like, hey, that guy right there, he won't betray me. Um, So Satan does all these things. And basically at the end of it, Job has no family, no place to live. And is sick on his deathbed, like literally about and to die. And his friends are really, really bothering and him. And his friends are really, really bothering him. I don't know that they're bad friends, but they're just really bothering him being annoying, which, fair. Um, but we get to this point, and Job finally goes to God and is like, okay, God, why me? Like, why is this happening? I can't take this anymore. Um, granted, he put up with it a lot longer than I probably would have, because if I'd have gotten to that point... That's I'd, true. My like, patience would have like, worn my thin. My patience would have worn thin super fast, so kudos to Job. Um, but... Um, this is God's response to Job after he says that he's like, Hey, shush for a second. And like, let me remind you of who I am. So we're just going to, Oh, I'm going to read this so good. Okay. Here we go. Maybe not. I'm going to mess it up. Who knows? Um, but this is God's response. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurement, surely, you know, or who stretched the line upon it or what were its bases sunk or where were, yeah. What were his bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set 
bars and doors, and said, Thus for shall you come, and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you, re have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the down, dawn, I'm sorry, dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? That's a lot of good questions. But, like, it's all rhetorical. Like, God knows that Job knows the answer, and God knows that we know the answer, like, if you've read Genesis. But, like, he's like, hey, by the way, where were you when I was creating the universe? Where were you when I put gravity in its place? Where were you when I created this and put the sea in its bounds so that it wasn't, like we talked about in the last episode, just a swarm of chaos? Like, where were you when I did that? Didn't think so. So before you come and doubt me again, like... Let me remind you that I am powerful. And I don't think God is doing this to make Job feel bad. I think God is doing this to remind Job that he is powerful enough to get him out of this. And he needs to continue to have faith. <laughs> and to top it all off, the uh, the beginning of the chapter describes how God shows up to Job in a tornado, basically. And yeah. so it's, it's a pretty... You but, know, you know, Job the, didn't all, fly away. So <laughs> yeah, of that's all of, power within itself. Yeah, of all of the ways to, you know, show up to Job and have a conversation... Talking to God as a tornado is kind of funny. I but, would love to know, talk to God in a tornado. also probably mildly terrifying, too. Fair. But I think it really just shows uh, that because what we looked at last week, because God is creator, then he must be all-powerful over his creation. If he's powerful enough to speak it into existence out of nothing, then it's a pretty easy inference to go from there that with that creation, God can do anything. Uh, which I think really leads to a lot of trust from us. Because if God is all-loving, we know that he's good, and we know that he's everywhere, and he can do anything, then there's nothing that can stop him from uh, doing things that are going to be for our benefit and for our glory. And so I think that really just gives us a lot of confidence as we're interacting with God that, you know, when we ask him for things, God is able to do those things. And so if he doesn't, then we trust that he's doing it for a good reason. And that's kind of what the answer to Job's questions are here, is that um, not necessarily that God gave him a specific reason, but showed him that he can trust that there is one because he's all good and he's all powerful. Yeah, and I think, like, we put this term, like, in this order this way because in order for, like, the three things before it, like, those play into his omnipotence like if he has those three things and he's already like more powerful and now he's all powerful because of this um and it's just another attribute of if you were to think of the greatest conceivable being well he would have all these things and i think it's super important and i think it's good to wrap this up but williams want to say mm -hmm. yes but i know we have to move on but i want to ask jackson a very important question that i've been dying to ask about this section oh dear but can god make a rock that's too heavy for him to lift. If God can do anything, can he make a rock that's too heavy for him to lift? No. Okay, because, why? Because that's not within the logic of God. If God is truly perfect, right, if he's the greatest conceivable being, and he is all-powerful, he can't do anything against his own logic. So he wouldn't be all-powerful if there was something he couldn't do. So if he made a rock that he couldn't lift, like, that does not line up with his omnipotence. Um, and, like, we have to be careful saying this, but like, we don't want to say God has limits, but any limitation that God has is only to glorify him more and to make him more of the greatest conceivable being. Like the limitation of God cannot sin. That's a limitation, but it makes God greater because he can't sin. He's perfect, right? Or 
God not doing something like he can't make a square circle. That just is not logically right. That would not, uh, that would not make him perfect. Like that would be an imperfection in God. Therefore, like making him less powerful. Right. Well, and I think that God choosing to place limits on himself and to uh, work within confines that he sets for himself. I think that self-control actually shows that God is more powerful, um, that he's willing to abide by those, those limitations that he sets for himself and I think I love that to make yet another C.S. Lewis reference in his book Miracles, how he answers this question is that like God can do all things, but logical contradictions are not things. Therefore, God can still do all things and it'd be fine that he's not, you know, making a rock that's too heavy to lift because that's not even a thing. Uh, yeah, that's it not. It just doesn't even make any sense. It doesn't make sense. Therefore, like it cannot be a thing. Okay, well, we should probably move on to the one that I've been dying for. This is William's favorite I'm word so out excited of all of this. these terms Yes, here. I think I like it just because it sounds so cool. Uh, and I'm just so happy that I know what it means. <laughs> well, I um, know what it means now. <laughs> yes, but the, the, the word, our last attribute for the day is God's aseity. Uh, and that is, again, a fancy way of just saying that God is self-existent, that he needs nobody. He provides for all of his own needs. He does not need anything. He does not depend on anything else for his existence. He just exists no matter what. He couldn't not exist. Uh, and so I think a really cool passage that we see this in um, is in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. Uh, and this is where God first appears to Moses in a burning bush. And he's about to go and send him to uh, Egypt to call the Israelites out of slavery Um and when God sends him, Moses basically asks, like, okay, well, when I tell them that you sent me, what should I tell them your name is? And God says, my name is, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so that's just kind of wild to think about that, like, when God tells us his name, he says that this is the name that he would be known by for all generations. When he tells us his name, it just simply is... I am. Like, I would say, I am William. I would say, I'm Jackson. Anybody that's, like, introducing themselves say, I am this. Or your career, you're like, I am a doctor. I am. God is I am because he is. He, he just simply, simply just is. is. Because he doesn't have to have a title or a power or anything to be him. He just is him. What, I mean, Christ gives us our identity, right? Um, but, like, titles we have of our job and who we are, mom, dad, brother, like those things, we have to define those so that we know what's happening. God doesn't because he just is. He is all of those things because he created all of those things. And it's just like mind blowing. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think this plays into the concept of the greatest conceivable being really well, because if God had needs, if God needed something or he was dependent on something or someone else uh, for things that he had to have, then that, to be honest, that's not a very big or great God if he needs things. Uh, and so the, the fact that um, scripture teaches that he is self-existent, he needs nobody, uh, is just a really cool thing that there's nobody greater than him because he needs no one else. And he's the only one who is totally self-sufficient like this. Like we, we depend on other people. We depend on God to exist. We depend on the people and the things around us. Uh, but God needs nobody. He would just exist no matter what. And that's just mind-blowing to think about. It's just truly, like, mind-blowing but encouraging. Um, encouraging that we 
choose to worship a God who truly is the greatest to ever be thought of um, and has all these amazing attributes that just shows who his character is, but it reminds us of why he is the greatest and better than us, right? Not in a sense of like pride, like, haha, I'm better than you, but because we should want someone sitting on the throne over us, kind of like we talked about in the last episode, we should want someone sitting over a throne over us that's perfect and has these things so that he can judge and, and be just the best way possible. Right. Well, and, and there's sort of this misconception that uh, when God created things or when he created the universe and he created humanity, there's sort of this misconception that he created us because he somehow needed us. Like God was lonely or something like he 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 needed humans to to have friends or something. Um, and I think that's that's just really a misconception because um, I mean, that's why the Trinity is so important is because um, God doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to be able to have someone to love or someone to love him because he already has that in himself. There's the three persons of the Trinity who have always been glorifying and loving each other. The the Father loves and honors the Son and the Son loves and honors the Father and the Spirit does that with both of them. So really, like you see that from the very beginning, even before creation, God didn't need anything. He just always was. Uh, and I think this is where we get the idea that God is eternal, that God, because he is self-existent, because he couldn't not exist, he has always existed in the past on the timeline going back to eternity. And then in the future, going forward on the timeline to eternity, God will always remain and continue to exist. And that's, again, just mind-boggling to think about. Yeah, super just crazy, but again to me encouraging um yeah but we got <laughs> um we gotta wrap it up sadly i'm sad but um thank you so much for joining us today i hope this was really encouraging to you um remember go give our facebook page a like uh we'll be posting updates there um some bios for us so you get to know us a little bit better when episodes are going to be posted and that's a great place to ask some big questions that you might want us to try to answer that we might try to answer in later episodes or you can always email us it's in our bio so check us out on our facebook page it's called big questions bigger god it's pretty simple um and as always keep asking those big questions